understand everything that's gone on in our life, and it's for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you again, Trio. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open up to Luke chapter 8 this morning, finishing the chapter, Luke chapter 8, all right? I know we are slowly going through the book of Luke, but uh, I just love the book of Luke. So much practical stuff for us, and uh, if Theophilus is not getting the picture right now of who Jesus is, I don't know if he'll ever get that picture, right? Uh, So Luke was writing to Theophilus. Last week, uh, we looked at how Jesus had uh, power over the supernatural. Uh, He healed the man, uh, had demons, uh, and he healed them. And the week before, he displayed his power over the natural. We saw last week how he calmed the wild man. The week before, he calmed the wild sea. Uh, We saw how Jesus can change a life, how he can change a man, clothe a man, and commission a man, all in the same story there. The man that we saw last week needed a Savior. Jesus went to a place where Jewish leaders would not go and Jewish people would stay away from. He did not care about tradition. He cared about one person. One person. So uh, in our passage of Scripture today that we're going to be looking at, we'll be in verse 40 through 56, that you probably heard this story, I don't know, hundreds of times, uh, where the woman touches the, the hem of his garment and Jairus, his, uh, the daughter, is sick. And so you probably have heard this, and I'm probably not going to give you anything new this morning that you've not heard, but I want to challenge you this morning to know this, we must see Jesus. And we can say, personally, I must see Jesus. And so, hopefully that is your prayer this, this morning. Let's read verse number 40, and then uh, I'll pray, and then we'll get into the rest of the passage. Verse number 40 says, And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes right now to your word. Lord, help us to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know how we can live better for you. Lord, today we need to see you. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you recall what happened last week, if you go to chapter 8, verse um, 36, 37, uh, you'll see that uh, they, they came, and verse 37 says, The whole multitude of the country of the gatherings round about besought him to depart, right? They wanted him to get away from them. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus, so there was a rejection. But in our text today, the verse 40, what you see right off is there's a reception. So Jesus went from rejection now to reception, and people are glad to receive him. The words received means to receive him kindly or hospitably. So they were wanting him to come, and they didn't want him to come so they could beat him or kill him. They wanted him to come because they enjoyed his presence. They enjoyed his presence. The words are are, were all were waiting for him or in the present tense. And so this means that there was a constant state of anticipation. We could take verse 40 and preach a sermon about how we should be anticipating the return of the Lord. They did not know when Jesus was going to come back, right? 
They didn't have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all those other social media things. They were not out there TikToking or anything else like that. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have a telephone. They didn't have telegraph. You know what they had? Tell a friend. And so everybody would tell a friend, hey, I hear Jesus is coming back again. I hear he's coming back to the shore. I hear he's coming back to see us. And so they got excited about Jesus Christ. Should we not be that excited about his return? He's coming back. How do we know he's coming back? He's told us in his word. But we do have Facebook. We do have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Snapchat, all, all those things. And we can tell people today uh, more widely than ever before about Jesus Christ. And one day he's coming back. Do you anticipate his return today? Are you eagerly anticipating, waiting for him in the present tense? Or are we caught up in what's going on in this world? We're not going to be here much longer, I don't believe. And so we need to kindly receive Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming one day. And so I believe the people at that time knew Jesus was coming because somebody talked to them about Jesus. Somebody heard through the grapevine, Jesus is coming. And so they get on their donkey or they walk uh, 15, 20 miles, and they begin to tell people after people after person and say, Hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And should not we be that excited about Jesus coming back? Now, an interesting thing about this verse number 40, and this is all just introduction. This is free stuff for you this morning, okay? Free stuff. The interesting thing about this passage of Scripture is if you compare it with other religious leaders, they would not come around, they would not come around the crowds, the common people. They didn't want anything to do with them because they thought that they would have been defiled. So Jesus was a religious leader in the sense that he was uh, giving new authority and preaching in new ways, and he was a, a, an authoritative figure, and Jesus is there, and he's not avoiding the common people. Praise God, right? Because I'm a common person. Are you a common people? Are you common today? Are you ordinary? I think we all could say we're ordinary. Maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not even above average. I'm like average right there. You know, I'm, a, I'm as common as common can get. But Jesus Christ loved me. Amen? Jesus Christ loves you. He was not concerned about tradition. I noticed this about Jesus. Whatever the religious elite did, Jesus did the opposite. Right? He said, I'm not following that crowd. Sometimes there's, you don't need to follow the crowd. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you should do it. Right? If the Bible calls it sin and, and says something against it, we should not be doing that. So, in this passage of Scripture, as we progress, we're going to meet two people. Two people. Let me give you some interesting facts. If you're following along with the app, you can read this. When Jesus got back, there was a great number of people there. We meet two people in this passage. One is a man. The other is a woman. All right, y'all know this passage. There we go. One's a man. One's a woman. One is wealthy. The other is bankrupt. One is respected. The other is rejected. One is a ruler, the other is an anonymous nobody. We're not, we're not told her name. One, uh, one, uh, is a, one is honored, one is ashamed. One has a 12-year-old daughter, the other has a 12-year-old problem. Now, I know you could probably say, if you were in the teenage years, can a 12-year-old girl be a problem? Probably so, but not in, not in this case. This man loved his daughter. And so there was a 12-year-old problem, a 12-year-old daughter. One had 12 years of delight. The other had 12 years of despair. 
But at the end of these two opposite spectrums, both needs, both of them had needs that needed to be met, right? The man who was honored and respected and well-known in the community needed a touch from Jesus. The woman who was a nobody that people didn't want anything to do with needed a touch from Jesus. And in our passage today, you see that Jesus is not a respecter of persons. That he said, hey, the honored man, I will heal your daughter. The nobody woman, I will heal your condition. And so let's look at verse 41 and 42 and then verse 49. We'll drop down to there. And you'll see a disheartened father. He was disheartened. He was discouraged. He was in despair. Why? Verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he only had, for he only had one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Verse 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. So you can see the dire situation that this man's in. His daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is in, 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 in the home, and she's on the bed, and she's about to die. And here you see a concerned father. Now this, this man, he's an interesting man. He's a ruler of the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue, and uh, his name is Jairus. And, you know, to see a ruler of the synagogue here is shocking. Even Luke uses a word to represent that. In verse 41, he says, and behold. Now this was, he was trying to draw our attention to this one fact. That Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. You say, why is that interesting? Because usually in scriptures, those in the synagogues despised Jesus and did not want anything to do with him. But at this present time and moment, Jairus did not care about what the religious people said. Jairus was caring about his daughter, right? How many of you would be the same way? Your daughter's at home in a bed. She's 12 years old. She's young. She lays a-dying. How many of us would be trying to get a hold of the throne room of God and say, God, would you touch my baby? I think we all would be right there. We would not care about what the religious elite said. This man cared for more for his daughter than he did the opinions of man. He knew his religious observances could do nothing for his beloved daughter. All the keeping of the law, everything that he did in the synagogue could not help his daughter. He needed Jesus. And so he must see Jesus. He had to go see him. Jairus goes to Jesus. And what does he do? What does verse 41 tell us he does? He fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him. And we don't really get the full picture of that and that word besought. But it literally is a word that's in the imperfect tense. And it gives us the idea that Jairus would not stop begging. He was there with Jesus. God, help my daughter. God, would you help my daughter? God, would you help my daughter? Jesus, help my daughter. You can just get it over and over and over again. He's by Jesus, and he's begging Jesus. That word besought means to beg, but he's doing it over and over and over again. God, help my child. He knew that Jesus was the only answer for his dear daughter. 
He knew that the only help for his child was Jesus. Fathers, let me just say this. Are we more concerned that we bring our children in Jesus than we are about teaching them something this world has to offer? Are we more concerned about giving them Jesus or giving them a future? They have no future without Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, we, we, we as fathers, I will stand before God Almighty one day of how I lead my family. Men, we're going to stand before God one day on how we spiritually lead our family. Statistics say that 96% of the time when the dad goes to church, the family follows. 96% of the time when a dad goes to church, families follow. Don't tell me, men, that we don't have a responsibility in our home. Jesus is the answer for our children. Now, there's nothing wrong with being involved in the things that the world has to offer you. There's nothing wrong with having fun with having fun and, and enjoying life. I believe God wants us to enjoy life, but not at the cost of forsaking Christ. That we need to be uh, more interested in, in bringing our families to, to church and to Christ than we are about anything else. I, you know, I, I've met fathers. We, we can, man, we, we want to do so much for our children. We want to love them. We want to give them the world and help them in any way we can. And I say the best way that we can help our children today is just give them to Jesus. Just give them to Jesus. This man wanted his daughter to be healed so bad that he forgets that he's a religious person. He forgets that he's part of uh, that, that religious crowd that he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he goes and he begs at the feet of Jesus, God, touch my child. One thing I would rather have my children do, I'd rather have my children learn how to serve God faithfully than anything else this world has to offer. I would rather my children serve God faithfully, and then God bless their lives, and God do multiple things in their lives, and I, I think we, we as fathers, we've got to have priority number one, Jesus, in our life. Priority number one in this man's life right here in this moment was Jesus Christ. And fathers, we have the responsibility to making Christ number one in our home. Christ needs to be number one in our home. Where are our priorities, fathers? Do we care about the spiritual well-being of our children? Do we care that they sit under Bible preaching and Bible teaching? Do we care uh, if they uh, are more involved in the world than we are and they are involved in church or uh, living for Jesus Christ? I pray this morning, fathers, we'll find a place at Jesus' feet. And we'll beg on behalf of our children. Our world is in a bad place. You don't, you, that's nothing new for anybody here, right? I mean, our kids are being taught all kinds of things at school. There's stuff in in the Tennessee or Florida law right now, going through all that stuff about what to teach a kid and what you can't teach a kid, starting when you can teach a kid. And there's up uprising about things, and uh, public schools are getting to the place where they don't want parents involved in their education. Parents, you need to be involved in your, your children's education, right? You need to be involved in their education. You need to know what they're being taught. Why? Because it's affecting who they are. Because there's a lot of... Uh, humanism and materialisms and things else in this world that's drawing our kids' attention. And fathers, we need to teach them about Jesus Christ. This man was concerned. So what does he do? 
Does he run to his religious leaders? Does he run to some program? Does he run to his friends? No, he runs to the only one that can help, and that's Jesus Christ. Today, I encourage fathers everywhere, find a place at Jesus' feet. Beg God to do something with your children. Beg God to put a hedge of protection about your child's mind. Satan desires to sift us as wheat, and I believe children are no exception. Movies that are coming out are teaching our kids how to be disrespectful to parents, how it's our world, your world, you can be whatever you want to be, and I believe you can be whatever you want to be. I believe you can do whatever you want to do. I believe you need to give God your life first. and You you need to make His desires your desires. Father, I'm asking you today, do you care enough for your children that you'll go to the feet of Jesus for them? You say, well, I'm not a father. If If you're a man at this church, we should be praying for children at this church. We should be praying for children that we know everywhere. We should be praying for God to intervene in their life. Their minds are being attacked. All you have to do is go back to before uh, Germany invaded all those stuff, before Hitler became all, all famous and powerful. And you know what he did? He began in the schools. He began to teach the children something else different. And by the time they got adults, he was ready to go. Don't think that they're not after your children. Don't think that they're, they're not wanting your children to stop going to church. They don't want your children involved with God. They don't want your children involved in any of that stuff. But we need to care for their spiritual well-being this morning. Just, just give them to Jesus. Just give your kids to Jesus. How desperate are we as parents to see God intervene in our lives? Do we ask just one time, God, would you help my children? Or is it a constant prayer, God, would you help my children? God, would you put a hedge of protection about my kids? I know I find myself praying constantly. You know, once your kids hit 16 and they get that car and they start driving, it's a whole nother world, right? Your, your prayer life gets a whole lot stronger, you know? I had to go the other day. I had a, you know, you, you begin to worry as parents, and, you know, I, I'll, I can find my kids on find my iPhone, right? I can look on there and see their location. I don't know what my parents did before uh, you could find, my, find them on my iPhone. But we were looking for my son the other day. He was supposed to be home. And it got, it got later and later, and I knew he had been at work, and I looked at his location and it was not updating. I tried calling, went straight to voicemail, and I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm like, okay, what's going on? I know he was at work, so I tell Jess, let's get in the car, we're going to go find him. He had just, just broken down like two nights before that, uh, going to Morristown or Bean Station, and he broke down there, so I was thinking, oh my goodness, he's on the side of the road somewhere again. His phone's dead. He ain't got a charger. What in the world am I going to do? Anybody, other parents, you feel like this? You ever had experiences like that? Okay. So I get in the car. I drive there. And when I get to Brian's work, guess where I find him? Nowhere. His car's running. His phone's inside of his car. So now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, he's been abducted. What in the world's going on? Where are you at? I'm praying, God, help me find him. Where is? I mean, I'm panicking here. I'm panicking. Then he comes out of his work and just, he was there. I raised my phone to him. He's like, yeah, my phone died. That's why, was, that's why my car's running. That's why I'm charging it. Like, okay, well, crisis averted. But, you know, during that time of looking for him, I spent much time praying for him. God, where is he? You know, intervening on his behalf. They, you know, you got a daughter that drives, and 
everybody's crazy out there in the world, and you don't want your daughter out there in the world, so you're constantly praying, God, would you just put a hedge of protection about her? Would you put a hedge of protection about my kids? God, would you intervene in their life? We ought to be begging God daily, multiple times a day to intervene in our children. I don't care how old they are. They still need mom and dad praying for them. Amen? They still need mom and dad reaching uh, to God for them and, and, and talking to God for them. So there was a disheartened father. What was he going to do? His daughter is lying, and she's about to die. And then something happens, right? Verse 43 through 46, we see a disheartened female. She was discouraged, but she broke up this. She delayed Jesus just a little bit, and really this delay was costly. It cost Jairus his daughter. Notice what it says in verse 43. In a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, now I'm just going to be honest with you, the fact that she's 12 years old, and this woman had a, an issue of blood 12 years, there's probably some significance to that. I don't know what that significance is. I know the 12 usually has to deal with the tribe of Israel in the Bible, but I really don't know what the significance is. I believe it is significant. I believe this, this man, he had a daughter of 12 years, and she had a problem that was 12 years uh, old, and she tried everything that she could to get rid of this problem. Look what it says in verse 43. She had spent all her living upon physicians, right? You know what that means? She went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they said, there's nothing we can do for you. Nothing we can do for you, but give us your money anyway. And so, neither could be healed of any. Verse 44, this woman, she came up behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee. And thou sayest, and sayest thou, who touched thee? And Jesus said, somebody had touched me, for I perceived that virtue is gone out of me. This disheartened female, we're not told her name. We're not told her occupation. All we're told was she was desperate. She was a nobody, really. An anonymous nobody. Not like the honored ruler that we saw in verse 40, not in 41. Not like him. I mean, this woman did not have any friends because she had an issue and this issue caused her to be unclean within her community no one wanted this woman around and the fact that a woman interrupted this religious leader is quite comical if you think about it because the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with the women and so this woman breaks up uh, this meeting between Jesus and the religious man and she, she doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want to be seen. She just reaches out and touches the hem of, of Jesus' garment. She was not trying to be a burden. She had her own problems she was dealing with. She had, she had her own struggles she was going through. But just like Jairus, she was disheartened. Where is she going to run? She's running to physician after physician after physician, and nobody can heal her. At this point, she has no money. She has nothing to her name. She has nothing to give. She has spent all her money on this bleeding disease. There was a hemorrhage in her, and this made her unclean. And doctor after doctor after doctor gave her no hope. Can't do anything for you. Can't do anything for you. And for 12 years, she, she, she spent her life like this. She spent all the money she had to find a cure. Then... 
she heard of a man named Jesus, right? She heard, if, if I could just get to him, I bet if I could just touch the hem of his garment, everything would be okay. If I could just meet Jesus, everything in my life would be okay. She heard what Jesus has done for others. She knew she had to get close. She did not want to be a bother, so she hides herself in the crowd. And as Jesus passes by and multitudes of people are around, she reaches out and just touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus knew something immediately was going, going on. He said, I perceive my virtues going out of me. In other words, someone was touching me, but it wasn't an accidental touch. Somebody touched me with purpose. Somebody wanted something. And so this woman, she reached out. And what happened to her? Immediately. How quick is that? You might know how quick immediately it is. It's right on, right? It wasn't progressive. It happened right away. Immediately, her blood was staunched. In other words... Her problem was cured. The blood was clotted. Some have said that she could have had an iron deficiency anemia. And this would cause her to become weak and tired. For 12 years she dealt with this. I mean, think about you dealing with something for 12 years. And then finally getting a cure and how free you feel. The burden lifted. Jesus knew someone touched her. This was a touch of expectation. Both of these scenarios show two people from different walks, right? Ruler of the synagogue, high and honored. Everybody knows Jairus. But his daughter's at home about to die. This woman had no idea who her name is. We do know she had an issue of blood, and we do know it was for 12 years. Both scenarios, we see people who needed Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates that he's not a respecter of persons. One was bold and upfront, while the other was timid and shy. Perhaps she knew what others would say about her if she was upfront and bold. Perhaps she knew that they would laugh her to scorn or tell her to get away because she was unclean. So she makes her way to Jesus, and Jesus heals her. But as you're going to see, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter too. Notice with me in verse 47. When the woman saw that she was not hid. She came trembling. She was scared to death. I mean, a woman in public like this, she could get in really big trouble. Falling down before him, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her daughter, Be of good comfort. Thy faith have made thee whole. Go in peace. What words of comfort, right? It's, it's okay. I'm not upset. I'm not angry. But as Jesus is telling this news to this lady about how she is okay and her problem is cured, we go from hope to hopelessness in the next verse. Notice what it says in verse 49. While he yet spake, while Jesus was yet speaking, there cometh one from the ruler of synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. He said, Jairus, I hate to tell you this, your daughter just passed away. Don't trouble the master anymore. Don't trouble him. Jairus could have got down really bad right here. He could have lost all hope. But Jesus looks to him and does something amazing. When Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not. Fear not. Believe only. And she shall be made whole. You see, the faith of Jairus, his strength of faith, depended on what would happen to his daughter. 
He said, fear not, only believe. Many times when Jesus does miracles, he says, according to your faith, let it be done. I wonder, would we have enough faith that would say, Jesus, I believe you can heal this. But he looks at Jairus. Jairus just received really discouraging news. In a moment, went from, yes, Jesus is coming, my daughter's going to be okay, to now, oh no, my daughter has died. From hope to hopelessness. He tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. That's something odd to tell somebody who just got that news, right? What he's telling Jairus is this, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be, if you have faith and if you believe, she will be made whole. Now, Jairus had a choice, right? He could have told Jesus one of two things. Okay, Jesus, well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your willingness to come to my house today and do something for my daughter. And he could have gone home, and he could have made all the arrangements necessary to say final goodbye to his daughter. But he didn't. He allowed Jesus to continue with him. You get that in verse 51. When he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, say Peter, James, and John. He needed Peter, James, and John to see this. He was teaching them something. And the father and the mother and the maiden. So you got the father, mother, James, John, Peter, and Jesus. And the little girl. All these are in the room. Others are being told to get out. And everybody wept in verse 52 and bewailed her and said, He said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. This was strange news. We saw her die. She's not breathing anymore. Jesus said, Oh, don't worry about it, she's sleeping. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put all them out and took her by the hand and called, saying two words, Maid, arise. What happened? She get groggy and like, oh, start yawning. Oh, what's happened? Oh, I've been asleep for so long. No. She gets up. Her spirit, verse 55, came again, and she arose straightway or immediately, and he commanded to give her meat. And we'll get to the significance of that in just a little bit. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. So the girl, she ends up passing away. But Jesus goes in and touches her and says two words, made to rise. We're not told her name. He just said, made to rise. Get up. Get out of that bed. Quit sleeping. And she gets up straightway. And then Jesus says, give her something to eat. You see, this shows multiple things. It shows that Jesus is concerned for us on a personal level. He looked at this daughter, this girl, know that she has been through some trying times, and he says, get up and eat. Now, why would Jesus do that? I know he was concerned about her on a personal level, but he was also trying to negate a belief that the Jewish people had. So the Jewish people believed that uh, when a person dies, the spirit would hover over the body for three days. And after three days, then they would be declared really dead. And so, can a ghost eat? No, a ghost can't eat. And so what Jesus does, she straightway gets up, and to prove that she was human, he says, give her something to eat. But he proved that he cared for her. 
She was not a spirit. She was an actual human being. Jesus looks and said, hey, give her something to eat. Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. When, he was, when they were out there fishing, he invites them. He says, come and dine. And he sat and ate with them. Now, this was after the resurrection. And he showed them that he was in human form again after the resurrection. And so Jesus goes in there and he heals this little girl. Do you think that that house erupted in worship? How many of you think uh, people got excited in that house? I believe everybody in that house got excited. And all those that were kicked out of the house, they began to get excited because the little girl was rescued. The little girl was rescued. I read a story this week about G. Campbell Morgan. And he says that this, is, this particular passage was very dear to him. He says, uh, he said this after his, he lost his firstborn daughter. Forty years later, preaching on the story of Jairus, he said this, and this was some time after G. Campbell Morgan experienced the loss of his daughter. I can hardly speak of this matter without becoming personal, without becoming personal and reminiscent. Remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first lassie lay at the point of death. Dying, I called for him then, and he came and surely said to our troubled hearts, Fear not, believe only. He did not say she shall be made whole, and she was not made whole on the earthly plane. She passed into this life beyond. He did say to her, Talithi kumai, little, little lamb arise, or maid arise. But in her case, that did not mean stay on the earth level. It meant that he needed her, and he took her to be with himself. She'd been with him for all those 40 years, and as we measure time here, and I have missed her every day, but his word, believe only, has been the strength of the passing years. Believe only. Fear not. Believe only. That was such comfort to him. One commentator says, however, fear for your situation. Jesus' word for you is don't fear. Trust me. How many of you believe God's got this? I believe God's got everything in this world under control. I believe he knows exactly what's going to happen. When he received the news from that person, and they said, Jairus, don't bother the master anymore, it did not take Jesus by surprise. He already knew about it. But he was there to offer encouragement. Don't worry. Don't fear. Trust me. He wants you to move from faith to fear in him. Jesus is the only one who can calm our fears. We live in a world full of fears. Would you all agree with that? A world full of fears. And it seems like we, we have more to fear today than ever before. Fear, uh, I believe, is, is crippling, crippling Christians. I believe we're letting fear get the best of us. God says that he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. God's not given us the spirit of fear. God wants us to put, put our faith in him. Because he alone has conquered death. On another occasion, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus gave us that promise. Fear not, only believe. One day he's coming back. One day he's coming to get us. And fathers, are we being the fathers we need to be by bringing our kids to Jesus? 
and we bring them to Jesus. Don't give excuses why you can't bring them to Jesus. Just bring them to Jesus and let Jesus uh, have a rule in their life. Give them to God. The hardest thing we can do is let go of their lives. The hardest thing we can do as parents is say, okay, God, you do whatever you want to. You do whatever you want to do, God. You just bring honor and glory to your name through their life. God's coming again. That's a promise. And I'm telling you today, Christians, don't be fearful. What about, what about COVID? What about the situation with Ukraine? What about all the anxiety and stress and things that are going on in my job? What about all of these things that I just don't know about and I'm uncertain about? They don't have to be figured out today. Today, live in faith. Today, say, God, I know you got this. I'm not going to live in fear today. It's time for Christians to put away fear and live in faith. Fear not. Believe only. That should be our cry today. That should be our prayer. We should uh, pray uh, that, that we will not be fearful, that we will have faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord with everything you've got. He'll direct your paths. Do you need to see Jesus today? Do you know Jesus today? Do you know that he can make whatever situation you're going through better? Doesn't mean it's going to go away, but he can make it better. He can walk through that trial or tribulation with you. Do you know Jesus is the answer for anything that you've got today? Whatever ails you, just give it to him. Roll your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you today. He loves you and wants to help your life. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you have the desire that this disheartened father and this disheartened female did? They wanted to see Jesus. So what did they do? They went and sought for him. And they found him. And when they found him, they worshiped him. We should be doing the same in our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.